If you remember from the first half of my conversation with Laura Dell, chief data scientist at Microsoft, we learned a little bit about the science behind data, and more importantly, the the mad scientists who who manage that data, who have real influence and responsibility in in how the data and the the algorithms that are are created based off this data really can influence and affect the real world. We learned also about how there can be bias in in data and technology and how that can lead to consequences for for many people out there and how companies uh, are making changes or making strides to to really facilitate a more responsible approach to to AI and to how data and information is used. As we finish our conversation in this second half, we, we talk about AI for good, we talk about uh, reskilling and upskilling communities for the future, as well as women in tech. I hope you enjoy. Besides the companies like Facebook and other ones, the, the ones that, that, there aren't a lot that have all of our data. Like there's, there's, you know, a few powerhouses out there that have a huge conglomeration of data and you know, they, they do all these, to me, shady things. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, the, the one thing that I think is, is interesting and, and somewhat alarming is they do those shady things, but there's a lot of room for, I guess, good or, or mm-hmm. maybe not good. I, I know you don't AI like AI for good. Um, but more, you know, to, to benefit others. Absolutely. And, and the biggest thing I, I learned that just kind of blew my mind was, all of law enforcement across the U.S. has access to data of sex offenders or, or you right. know, people who come out of jail and, you know, have to be registered. But if you're someone of that nature and, you know, you were caught in, I don't know, California and then you go to Oregon, uh, which you shouldn't be doing anyway. But if you go, law enforcement knows you went. They have access to the data. They can see you went and you are living near a school or something, but no one is doing anything about it. Like there's all these different, uh, I think, factors or or these different ways that we could be looking to contribute to society instead of, like you said, having a vested interest and, and or a lack of care of doing something about stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just it just blows my mind because what else do we not know that's going on like this? Yeah, no, you know? it's the invisible boundary that makes up a state by state changeover. That invisible boundary actually drives so much behavior around what law enforcement can and can't do at a state level. And so that, you know, therein lies and calls in more the poli- like the political side of being and, and using that data for the good. And I don't want to use that word, but it is important that we change policy and we bring in lawmakers and we bring in folks that maybe have fresh ideas and want to change, you know, the status quo. The status quo is easy. And that's what I mean by the path of a data scientist can be, this is what my boss wants. This is what my company wants. It's much easier for me not to fight that fight. I'm going to go that route. But on the other side is responsible AI, AI for good, doing things because you want to create a sustainable world. Whatever your influence might be, you can wield it, again, for 
the positive or negative of humankind. And that's what I don't think a lot of data scientists that, that bring in rather data scientist teams step back and think about like that aspect. They just want the cool thing because everybody has a set of data scientists today. You know, everyone's talking about AI and it's sexy and it's, you know, it's the thing that we want to do, but no one really knows why. And, you know, for me, there's such a bigger and broader um, thing that we need to do as data scientists to help communities at large that we can do with this power that we have being mathematicians that so are so smart like myself. <laughs> <laughs> Humble brag. Humble brag. Uh, so there really is a lot of responsibility. Like it's one of those things that just kind of blows my mind. It's like, you know, you, you look at, at the end of the day, you're, you know, put it somewhat nicely, a math geek. And, oh, totally. You know, <laughs> I own that with pride. <laughs> but, but you can totally like you said tell a story you can you can you can influence at a level that most people don't even realize yeah no know? i and and it just it's, it's amazing it's, like you said the you know spider-man with great power comes with great responsibility it's one mm -hmm. of those things it just it just blows my mind that you know if you think about what people in technology can do and and, and it's it's not just someone who's, who's clicking a button it's someone who's essentially making decisions. Yeah, you are making decisions. I mean, I look at most recently in a, in a COVID outcome and how we were going to help people pay their bills that have now lost their jobs at scale. And you look at these companies that had moratoriums on turning utilities off, you know, charging fees for credit cards, those type of things that people couldn't pay for on time. With that data, you could have taken it and said, wow, look at all these people that have a very low propensity. I'm just going to say, you know, they're the, they're the bad eggs of the seed here, and I'm going to not, you know, I'm going to have the, the stick approach with them. And, and these good ones over here, I'm going to give them the carrots of the goodness. But at the end of the day, within those buckets are stories. There are folks that are senior, and maybe there are NGOs and outreach that could help them because they are seniors, and maybe they've lived in those homes and have those credits for years, but now they're being affected because the world is affected in ways that they are un, you know, unprepared for. And if you don't tell that story appropriately, there are companies who could take large swath decisions that affect these different cohorts of people and what I love about responsible AI is if you tell that story correctly, instead, people are still human and they realize the humanity of being able to outreach. And no matter how big a company is or how much negative press they have, there's still those stories that if you tell them correctly, can be for so much benefit of the society at large. And I think that's where having that you know, ethicist come in and, and really being that voice of what is right and wrong is so important at the corporate level. But but can you accurately tell a story with data if you know if you're just looking at numbers, you don't know that that, you know, so and so is a senior, that so and so has lived there forever. You don't know my background. You don't know that, you know, there are things that I do that that, you know, don't factor into this. There's right. there's that That's true. human the human element mm -hmm. that you know, I don't think you can accurately you predict. No, you can't. That's the human in the loop. And I, and when I say human in the loop, a lot of people in AI mean that very differently. Like a, think of a virtual agent who can't answer your question, so therefore I'm going to transfer you to a human. That's what they mostly mean. But what I mean when I say human in the loop are the SMEs, the subject matter experts who come from industry, who are not you know, AI practitioners, but they understand what's happening in an industry or at a customer level. 
And that's why for me, working with the folks that lead up the customer departments and lead up their industry areas are so important because they're the ones who are going to help you understand this is what that cohort is. This is what I know about that customer. And it's only by bringing them into the fold that you can really take an algorithm and make it have the humanity, have the story that you want to tell. You have to partner with that holistic group. And that goes back to, again, having a data scientist who has that practical experience to understand that. Otherwise, you do have folks that come out of college, and myself included at a time, super humble brag, as you saw before, where I'm like, I don't need anybody. I can solve this all with data. And that's not the reality. You can't, you can't fully understand that story until you have those experiences with those folks to be able to tell the story properly. So let me ask you this, because you said at one point, um, you know, the, the human in the loop. And yeah. one of the things that, especially these days, you will see a lot everywhere is people talking about being made, quote unquote, redundant. Right. And, and part of it's just, you know, BS, to be honest. It's, you know, companies making arbitrary decisions based upon, you know, numbers and projections and, and you know, arbitrary goals that didn't get met because of, you know, the, the shutdown that was COVID for a lot of these businesses. But, uh, you know, a lot of it also is, and I've seen this in, in my field, that there's a lot of companies that are looking to invest in data, mm -hmm. in, in analysis, mm -hmm. and uh, in making things cheaper by using AI sure. and, and quote unquote, you know, replacing someone's job. Sure. Um, and it's one of these things, I guess, I guess two questions, like one, do you think that we're doing right in replacing someone's job? And then secondly, what do you think we're missing on as an opportunity by doing these things? Yeah, I think one of the great things that has come out of this post-COVID world is the fact that we need to start reskilling and upskilling at scale communities, not just technologists, but we need to now start helping, you know, from everybody from the teacher to the folks that are working in factories, not just those that have gone to college, but everybody. We need to, to start skilling them now. And that, you know, through programs that are free or subsidized and introducing them to technology because the reality is there are many functions that AI could um, replace in future, but that doesn't replace the power that that human brings. So why not ahead of time have the foresight and the folks and the technologists to help them reskill and prepare for that future as opposed to letting it come and happen and then everybody, oh, why didn't we know? Why didn't, you know, AI is taking over the world? No, instead embrace it and upskill and reskill yourself now to get there. And it's, I know it may seem like, wow, how can I do that? But the reality is there's programs out there that walk you through stepwise program on teaching you the basics of what you need to know to understand analysis. Let's just start there. Here's how you use something like Excel. Here's how you analyze doing the average. Let's start with the basic algorithms that make it data science and teach folks the bare bones to really give them a foundation. And from there, offer programs to then let them upskill and get more advanced over time. And that's one of the cool things that you see in communities happening today with cities and mayors and states who really understand that they need to do that for their constituents at large is that they're funding these types of programs. So I think COVID really elevated that need in a much more rapid way than we probably would have seen before. I mean, very few students were doing online learning at scale. We didn't have elementary schools doing online learning at scale, and now we do. 
And that to me is very exciting. So what I predict in the future is data scientists themselves even won't have jobs because we will have built the algorithms that take care of the need to build the algorithms. It will just be part of the process of everything that we do if it's done correctly. Well, but not everything will be automated. I mean, I think, you know, when I hear all this, it, it always drives me nuts because I think it's, I think it's the businesses losing the greatest opportunity to, to pivot their employees to something different. You know, if someone yeah. had a tedious job that was clicking buttons or entering data that's replaced by some automation, it probably wasn't a good use of their skills anyway. Right. I mean, you know, there's a reason why jobs get replaced by technology because technology is at a point where, you know, it can easily accomplish these what are some to some degree basic tasks yeah um, look at the smart or intelligent factory of the future that you hear about where they're leveraging um, device-based or sensor-based um, rpa or this robotic process automation it doesn't mean that that person who previously was hitting a button loses their job but instead why not skill them to understand the mechanics of the algorithms that are running those machines so that they can then maintain them because there will still need to be a maintenance and period of people that are taking care of or, those or, processes. Or other, or other parts. Or I other mean, areas it's one of, of those things. It, it always, it, it, to me, it shows a lack of concern for you know your employee because realistically, most cases, that's not their only job. Right. That's not just clicking the button right. and that's it. Some cases maybe, right? But there's there's cases where there's there's other other functions and and it's a matter of, okay, now you're you're losing this, which you probably spent maybe sixty percent of your time doing, which was garbage anyway. And now you can spend time focusing on other things that are important. The the maintenance, the the uh, optimization maybe or, or, or just all these different pieces that you couldn't do before and you didn't have time to before because you were doing the tedious task. Right. But companies are not using that as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, uh, Laura has been working for us for five however many years and all of a sudden this quote unquote replaced her job and let's, you know, get her to do something else. It's just, hey, goodbye. And so it's one of those things that I guess going back to responsible AI, I think it's not just a data science thing. It's a, it's a business thing because right. if you're going to use something, you know, use it responsibly. Just Absolutely. like you have a car, you have to be careful. You know, you you own a gun, you have to be careful. You owe, you know, lots of different things. Yeah. You have to take the care and responsibility of whatever you're doing. Yeah, and it absolutely. just seems like these days because of the effects of the pandemic that we're losing to some degree that responsibility and it's becoming more of like you said a you know we'll wait till next year we'll wait to do this or or we're going to implement this and get rid of these you know groups of people because we can save money and we can do these things and and those are the leaders that i would say are the leaders of company you can think of just take Blockbuster. Blockbuster was once this huge thing, and I just read that the last Blockbuster that exists, they're making it into an Airbnb for the last month, and then it's going away. And if you look at the leaders that ran these companies, these brands that we grew up with that are now gone, those are the folks that said, we can do this next year, as opposed to the visionary leaders who said, I'm going to take this hit temporarily because I see the future of how I need to pivot. If you look at where these fashion chains that you hear going away now, it's because they said, 
I'm so big, I don't need to change. Uh, but the smaller companies that came up and made it more flexible and understood e-commerce and understood the brick and mortar creating the fashion experience so people could still feel that tactical sensation you would get when you find that right piece of clothing, they're the ones who are now succeeding. And so it really takes a, a leader of a company or an organization that has vision and has, frankly, I don't even know the right way to say it, but has the guts to go out and maybe take that hit with their board, but position it such that we are now going to take our employee base and as opposed to cutting them, and I get in some instances, they, there is no choice. They have to have um, you know, reductions in workforce, but it's those companies that I talked to today that actually are creating programs that are called workforce skilling or workforce reskilling that understand that in order for them to grow into the next wave of the future, to address things like sustainable futures, to really take and augment their company, maybe new revenue streams to that next level, they need to take their employee base and as opposed to just cutting them off because I get a short-term benefit, I'm going to now reskill them so that they can now help me grow to this next vision so I don't have to pay four times as much to bring in somebody off the street to get them there. That candidate that I currently have, it costs far less to train and reskill them than it does to bring in a brand new person off the street. And so I think it's those visionary leaders who get that post-COVID that are starting to you know, lay those inroads to do that. So it's guts, but it's also maybe a little bit about a... Uh, uh you know, admitting what's wrong. You know, Absolutely. It's one of the things that I think is a, a huge thing these days is, you know, being a leader and being the first to say, hey, I, I made a wrong choice, right? Absolutely. We were wrong. We went down the wrong path. Uh, and it's those leaders that we all, like, respect. Because, you know, they always say an American loves a great comeback story. And it's true. I read books. You know, I love that part of the story where there's a great fail. Don't laugh at me. I mean, I love Britney Spears. It's <laughs> who I grew up with. And I was the biggest fan rooting for her in her great comeback. So I think that's what companies need to do. Stand up and say, I made a mistake. We did the wrong thing, whatever it might be. And now we're going to pivot. And this is how we're going to do so. And those are the folks that we're going to see in 10 years from now. So, And it all comes back to the workforce. And that's where when you ask the question around people are afraid AI is going to take their jobs, they need to you know, have the awareness that that is a reality that is It's a not future. going away. It's not going away. So why not look for those free programs? Start taking classes at night. It, it doesn't cost you any money to start now learning how to be an analyst, how to use these tools that are available to you so that you yourself are empowering yourself. It goes back to the decision to sell your own data in the future. You know, we as people need to continually grow ourselves. We can't wait for somebody else to hand us a thing that says, you've been chosen to be reskilled. Why not do it yourself? I mean, the programs are there to help you to do that today. So it's all about choice. You know, you it and I talk about, about this choice. a lot. And I always say, like, I think everything's about choice. So it really is about embracing the uncertainty or or just coming to terms with or it. Or just knowing it's there. Yeah, I think a lot there. of people don't even realize that there are these programs out there. I mean, I teach high school kids. I mentor younger kids through STEM. And they don't realize that if they don't go to college, they think that everything is going to end for them in a future world, but maybe they just can't. And all the time I'm telling them, no, that's not true. There's actually programs geared for you that won't cost you any money, but it will cost you time and willingness to you know, go down that path. So there are always options out there. I think, yes, it takes a knowledge first to know it's there, a willingness, and then a choice to make that your path. It's very interesting. You know, one of the, the things I want to just kind of close on is um, – you know, I, I definitely love talking to you always <laughs> about tech stuff. And it's, it's funny. I had this thought in my head that, um, you know, it, it's it's a weird thing. But it's like, you know, the, the women in tech thing, I think it's an important 
uh, uh, concept these days and, and just women in the workforce, right? And it's one of these things where I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, when you talk with other people or, or like if you're a guy and you're like, oh, this guy's awesome. I love him. He's so smart. You say you have like a man crush on him mm-hmm. and things like that. But like y- there's no like such thing as like a, a woman crush or because it's probably going to be misconstrued or something. But it's one of those things that uh, I think – you know, at least for me, I definitely have like a, a tech crush on you, Laura. Oh, uh, thank you. No, I hear a lot of guys say of other guys, this is my work wife. And recently <laughs> um, somebody said that about me, who was a gentleman. And there was that quiet pause, like, was that the appropriate thing to say? And of course, I'm like, yeah, I probably spend more time with you than anybody. But I very much uh, appreciate talking to you too, Eric. And I've always said that your your grumpy, austere uh, projection of being a leader was what inspired me to talk to you because you commanded a room like nobody I had seen or worked with. And I appreciated that. So what I translated as a grumpy, austere is actually... Um, sort of a quiet intelligence that you project that um, I don't think a lot of people do. So if I had to peg anybody to be a leader that we just talked about in the future, it would definitely be you. Thank you. Um, I guess one of the things I just want to hear real quick is being a woman in tech, you and I have seen this together. We, we were at an event where you, and this happened to be in another country, so maybe there's a little cultural thing, but, but this happens, I'm mm-hmm. sure, no matter where you are, where you were the person coaching at mm-hmm. an event and you were telling those who are supposed to be learning um, about, you know, the, the technology and, and helping them and things. And, and I remember specifically, and this is one of those things where I just like, it blew my mind because you hear this all the time. And I remember when you came to me, I was like, you came to me and said, hey, can you come and tell my, you know, group of people this? because they're just not listening to me. And I think it's because I'm a woman. And I was like, come on, Laura, please. Like, <laughs> you're one of the smartest people I know. I went to the table. I tell them literally, literally. word <laughs> for word the exact same thing. And it was just instant belief. Okay. And, and then... Like, they got it, like, right away. And it was literally word for word the exact same thing. Exact same thing, spoken in the exact same language. The only difference was gender. Yes. Yes. And so, I guess... One of the things that that I always think is, to me, you're you're you know you're definitely a a powerhouse in the tech field, and you're you're one of the smartest people I know. And I think it's it's crazy to me that it's a you know a man woman thing. I've met plenty of stupid men, <laughs> you know, in the tech field. Like it, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But but you know what I mean. It's it's um, what needs to change in that. And mm-hmm. I know you're involved in women in tech and yeah. other thing, but. What do you see besides, you know, things that that we've discussed or that I mu- just mm-hmm. mentioned that that need a change? And and I guess what are you? Because I know you're actively involved with this, trying to do to to change it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know when I grew up. Um, it was, you know, coming at the the tail end of, you know, women really entering the workforce at large. And, you know, divorce rates left many single moms who had to, you know, be the mom and dad for their families and, and be the earner. And so I grew up seeing and, and seeing that. But I also grew up at a time where, 
you know, there were not many women going into the tech field, especially. And so what I get most excited and what I think is going to help change this is that the younger generations have an entirely different mentality. So, you know, one of the things I always laugh about is, you know, I read this article where in China you're in high school and the most popular people are those that were the smartest at math. That is what rated them popular versus, you know, if you're a cheerleader or your, your extracurricular activities here in America are what dub you the most popular kid. And so it's this night and day view. Well, I think they're, you know, seeing how many women are now starting to come into the tech field, into data science is very exciting to me because that means that this wall or ceiling is starting to break. And so I'd say there's two things that need to change. First of all, for those that maybe aren't, you know, new into their career, you have to remember that there really isn't a glass ceiling as a woman. You can't hear, you know, the voice that maybe you've been told your whole life is limiting. You make less than a man. You know, these are these are messages that we've heard that actually are not true. So you have to have the confidence to know that when you go and you ask for something, ask for it. Don't be afraid. The what's the worst? They can say no. Okay, but it's you who limit yourself by that ceiling as a woman. That's the first thing. And then for that younger generation, it's to appreciate that you know the, these two mentalities are starkly different as a woman in the workplace today, and to work together. I see a lot of women that you know have. For whatever reason, they don't want to work together, women helping women, women mentoring women. And I think if that changes, if we all come together and realize, like, let me mentor you, let me teach you what I know, and let's partner together, that's how we make a stronger workforce being a woman in tech, in my opinion. So it's, you know, you can't change anybody else but yourself. So first, change your mindset and then share what you know with others. Well, and part of that's got to be on on the man side too, right? It's like, I even just said, it's like, I, I, I and not that I didn't believe you, but I'm just like, like, okay, let me go repeat the same thing. And then I remember seeing it. I'm just like, guys, like, this is stupid. Like, listen to her. She's, she freaking knows what she's talking about. Yeah. And, and, th- but I can't change once. you, but I can't change you, but I could take you to the, the well. I can't make you drink the water, but I could at least bring you there to show you that, hey, look at the water. It's kind of rusty. Like, you know, I don't, they're not drinking my water. I need your help. And so, do you so- think it's more, more awareness on, on from like a male perspective as well you can't just belabor if i had told you like eric you're not listening to me they're not if i didn't actually bring you there to see it for yourself you probably wouldn't have believed it maybe she you know there'd be a whole i can't change what you would have thought in that moment all i can do is bring you to my world and show you and hope that you have enough emotional intelligence or to see what i'm showing you because oftentimes you might get stuck and they don't see what you're trying to explain in that scenario but all we can do is change ourselves and help sh- showcase to others what we are trying and what we are experiencing and hope that they come to that well themselves. That's, that's what's in our control. I'm going to change me and my mindset. I'm going to bring you to my mindset. If you don't see it, you don't see it. Yeah, that's yeah. your world. But hopefully you want to grow as much as I want to grow, and therefore you will see it. Other than that, we can't really change that scenario outside of changing ourselves. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Absolutely. This was awesome. Hopefully this wasn't a super political and <laughs> state of the union. but Yeah, we went kind of everywhere, but that's typical with you and me. So. It is, it is. But it's an important topic that we were talking about, so hopefully you know, this uh, resounds with your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good night. After talking with Laura, it became even clearer to me just how important data is in, in our world today. It is uh, a media just like any other, whether it's spoken word, written word, 
um, what have you, that it can be very influential, can can be very impactful by those using it. You know, the data scientists, the businesses, the leaders who are making decisions based off of this data. And it isn't just certain businesses or certain aspects. Everyone's using data these days, whether it's to decide to give you a loan, um, whether you are qualifying for a specific type of insurance and a certain rate. So it is even more critical that we, not only as individuals, but as businesses, start to really look at how we can be more responsible and how we can start to include the the human in the loop into our decisions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.